You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Run the Riot podcast. Today, we've got a f- friend of mine, friend of the podcast, Mr. Sean Barnes. I th- we discovered uh, while we were talking that this thing this is the fourth time that he's been on the podcast, but he's been doing some amazing things. We talked to him when he did the Triple Crown of 200s. When he completed that, we got to talk to him and his coach. We talked to him when he attempted the Diderot Trail Invitational 350 mile, and he didn't quite finish it. And then we talked to him again after he went back the following year and got it done. And today, we're talking to Sean because he's going back into the frozen wasteland (laughs) in Alaska, and he's running the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1,000-mile journey. Yeah, man, I am, I'm so excited for him, and I just, like, that is, that blows my mind. So we talk about the preparation, the things that he's been doing to get ready, and man, if everything goes according to plan, we're going to hook up again. When he is in Nome, when he crosses that finish line, and we're going to chat and talk about how it all went and how it all went down. Man, it's this just amazing um, t- thinking about what people can do, and I'm just amazed at what Sean is doing. So we're just going to just listen in, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. So much fun. This podcast is sponsored by the Outlaw Race Series. Man, you want to run some good races in Kansas and Oklahoma? Run the Outlaw Race Series. You just want to run some good races, period. Come check out the Outlaw Race Series. Go to www.outlaw100.com and check them out. Man, there are a bunch of races. The Flat Rock in Independence, Kansas. Fantastic race. Lake McMurtry in Stillwater. The Greater Roadrunner Trail Run in Roman Nose State Park in Watonga, Oklahoma. There's the Flower Moon in Pawhuska. Dark and Dirty. There's the Thunderbird. The Outlaw 100. There's Prairie Spirit in South Kansas. There's so many good races, man. And I I want to just tell you, you will be taken care of as an ultra runner at these races. It's great ultra runs put on by ultra runners, man. So check it out. Go to www.outlaw100.com. Put them on your calendar. We want to thank Runner's World Tulsa for sponsoring this podcast also. Man, you need anything and you're in the Tulsa area? Go to Runner's World Tulsa. Check them out at www.runnersworldtulsa.com. They've got so many shoes. They've got packs. They've got watches. They've got... Everything that you need to run the roads, to run ultras, and you know what? They've got a ton of experience. They even got an altitude tent that you can train in. They'll put you on a training plan to get ready for your Leadville races or your mountain races that are coming up. Man, check out Runner's World Tulsa. Also, you can click on their events on the website, and they've got a bunch of races going on. Road races, trail races. Kathy and Barbara will get you what you need to run the races that you want to run. So check them out, www.runnersworldtulsa.com. Today on the Run the Riot podcast for the, is this the, I think this is the fourth time, Sean. Wow. Sean Barnes. <laughs> yeah, man. This is, that's crazy. I just realized that I think this is four times you've been on the podcast. Well, that's good. That means I'm actually doing things that are somewhat interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. How, well, how are you, man? You doing well? I'm doing good. I'm very excited for what I have coming up. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing well, a little nervous, but I think I'm ready. So. Okay. I- I have to say this, and this is not on the subject, or whatever. But dude, your beard's looking good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all for a reason. It's everything I've been doing is for this race, and of course, the ITI. And to get a good ice beard, you need a lot of facial hair, and that nice. was the whole reason why I have this been growing this for a few months now. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. So it's a beard with a purpose. So your girlfriend can't complain about it. So we have already have talked that it's I get a pass until. Hopefully I get to Nome and then it'll probably get trimmed or will come off. I got you. That's awesome. That Well, so like before we started recording, I, you, we talked for just real briefly. And so there, the first time I had you on the podcast is because you had done the Triple Crown. And man, we had a great time. We had your coach Nicole on with you and we unpacked the training and everything that went into that. And that, that was pretty fun. I encourage everybody who interested in the 200s and Triple Crown and all that to go back and listen to that one. And then the second one 
was you actually came on, I believe it was when you DNF'd ITI 350 went the first, your first attempt at the 350. And man, I thought it was, it was really cool that you came on and we just unpacked it and talked about it. Cause it, what a huge attempt to go out there. That's what it was, right? I believe. Correct. It yeah. was, I, that year I went to the, their training camp. It was like roughly two weeks before the 350 race. And for, at least for me, the pandemic actually helped me. So they were, a lot of the international runners couldn't get into the country to the race. So I did the training camp and then I got tapped on the shoulder and I got the opportunity to race that year. So I was in Alaska for quite some time. I had a very flexible schedule to, make, to allow that and make it happen. But I was really hoping they were going to allow me to do that. So, yeah, but that is yeah. not the normal course of the yeah. And then you learned from that. And that that's one of the beautiful things about our sport. And I've had my share of failure DNFs. So I'll put them out on there. If anybody can learn from me crashing and burning, that's great. And you learned from it. And then last year, I remember following along when you got it done and we had you on the podcast again, you went out and did the 350 out in the snow. We had you on. And then I love that the last little bit, we had your girlfriend on to talk about from her perspective, the little dot that is Sean yeah. <laughs> and just everything leading up to it. And so, man, that was fantastic. And then since then, you've done some things. And so I want to talk about that. And then we'll get into the big thing, the big thing that's coming up. All right. And I was just looking at your ultra, your ultra sign up and when, well, let's just say that when did you find out that you got into that? When did you know you were going to get into the 1000? Because you... You said at the podcast, the last podcast, that you were interested, like you wanted to do it. Correct. So after I finished the 350, I got back to the Midwest. I was on a high. I was, I felt like it took all my energy, all my focus to get to the finish line. Yeah. The There was days in there you have no contacts, no cell phone reception. You're not even taking out a satellite phone out and send a text message because you had work to do every minute. You had to make progress. You, there's no extra time in the schedule to just sit around and check social media or try to call home. Yeah. And there wasn't a reception, but I did get to the finish line. The last five miles, I could truly, I reflect back on, it was probably the hardest five miles I ever have done. I was exhausted, sleep deprived. I was hungry. I was cold and, but I got to the finish line, but it was exhausting. But it's interesting about the 350. So I'm at the finish line for the thousand milers. That's just a checkpoint. Yeah. For me, it was a finish line and they were there and they were taking a quick nap and they were heading back out. And I could not believe what they, what their mindset, what could they be doing? 350 is not even a halfway point for them. And it's really two races from the standpoint. When you get to the 350 mark for a thousand miler, is gets really hard after that. You go longer distances. There's a, there's a spot that you have to go 120 miles before you get to a really a decent checkpoint. I mean by that, there's one in between it there where it's first come, first serve, and it's there to serve the dogs first. You may not be able to stop there. The second one after that, the village is not one outsiders there in there because they don't have a urgent care. They don't have a hospital. So they keep you moving. Yeah. So you have to go 120 miles. You get to a village that you're allowed in. That's a long distance, and but they have a smile on their face. I always wonder what was that going to be like. And show my interest. Typically, they want you to finish the 350 a couple of times and numerous winter distances, distance races. And so I'm like, why don't we put my name in the hat? I think I have a good running resume, good endurance athlete resume. And they came back and they said yes. So. Yeah. So when did you find out? I don't remember. I remember seeing I was probably, it, I, I think it was actually that day when we had our interview. Okay. Um, yeah. It was, I didn't tell everyone my, I have not got the work details worked out with my employer. I didn't have the, my family was unaware of all the, what I was going to attempt to do. And then this whole year has been pretty much focused on really getting ready in a lot of ways, work financially, even figuring out like, what does it mean for the rest of the family? Are they going to go to the Noma and wait for me? And how long are they going to wait for me? But just because you get 30 days to do the race, if you check the records, sometimes finishers come across at 40 days, 45 days. And that's a long time to a wait or two, just, yeah. you know, I guess track or being away from work. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you find this out. Okay. First of all, okay. And, and like you said, everything leading up 
to now has been in preparation for that, like everything that you've done. So you're going to, you said, okay, this is I'm quoting you from a little while ago, the hardest five miles you've ever done. You were totally spent, you were rough. And then, so you find out that you're getting into this thousand. How do you wrap your mind around that? And what do you like? What do you, what do you plan? Like, how do you plan to get that done? To, to, right. to, to Number one, wrap your mind around it and then prepare yourself physically and mentally to do it. Right. That's a question. I really don't have an answer from the standpoint. I've never gone past 350 miles before. Yeah. I've done 200 milers. I've done, let's say, maybe 20, 100 milers. But to keep going and when you're spent, I'm really hoping that I can figure that out yeah, during yeah. it because everyone likes to think they could rise to the occasion and push on and keep on going, but we all have DNFs. We all, there's variables. And when it comes to winter sports and winter races that there's a lot of variables outside of your control. Weather yeah. has been extremely cold in Alaska. They have more snow than this year than they had in last year. Yeah. Uh, it's been at times 36, negative 40, and then you get wind chill on top of that. Yeah. So there's a lot of variables, what cause frostbites, a lot of variables with the wildlife that you have to deal with. And so I'm hoping to figure that out. Yeah. I like to think I'm in shape. Yeah. I like to think that I have the right gear. It's been a, a quite of a journey. As you touched on that, I did the winter race, the camp, the ITI camp. Then I, I had one 350 DNF, came back, I finished it. And so I'm, somewhat prepared. This will be my third year and being in Alaska in the winter. And, yeah. um, oh man, so. that's, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't And I don't know, because all of us we're pushing, we're trying to do things that we haven't done before. And it's hard to explain to some people because some people don't do that. Some people get a little right. uncomfortable and like, that's it. And so it's hard to, I don't, hard to explain to people like, why are you doing this? Why do you have this race? Why are you training for this? And I was like, Be because it's there and I want to see if I can do it. I want right. to push myself. And they're like, why not just stay yeah. home? We're true. There's a lot of a soul searching from a standpoint. <laughs> Everyone has a why. And they yeah. talk to you a lot of that about in the ITI camp, have a why. Yeah. Uh, these winter races is truly a journey. You can't just sign up like a lot of people do for a marathon and say, oh, I sign up for a marathon tomorrow when we start training and very likely you can finish that marathon. Yeah. These races takes years of dedication to get ready, to have the mindset and even give the invite to be participate in the event. Yeah. And so and I've seen, I is very different than most ultra races that you have to give up a lot. This whole entire year, I've been trying to get ready. I spent the entire summer um, in Colorado, pretty much living in my car, climbing mountains, running every day. I All the endurance races I've done this year is more for training. I didn't do any kind of taper to, before I doing them. Because of that, I had some DNFs. I had some good races like Leadville. I did a sub-24 at Tunnel Hill this fall, but there has been no tapering before the races. So I was just trying to, just thinking that as a say, part of the training, get ready for ITI. Yeah. Yeah. And so as I was looking, I saw you did the Kettle Moraine. It was the kind of the first thing after. And then uh, now I have a question. I saw you went and did six days at the, in the dome, the 72 hour event. Right. But then I, as I looked, you've got a hundred miles on June 19th and then a hundred, another hundred miles on June 22nd. And I didn't realize, so you could go in for the 72 and then drop two different, uh, Correct. Yeah. two different hundred milers in there. So it is so it's interesting about this whole year from the standpoint of I was trying to figure it out. How am I gonna really get ready? You know, there's yeah. not snow here in the summertime. There I can't be pulling a polk with my gear on it. I'm not in Alaska. And so I just try to challenge myself. So when I got back from the ITI 350, at first I was just glad to be back. Uh, you, you miss having pizza. You miss sleeping in a bed. You miss a pillow. You, you miss, miss you know, yeah. You miss the family. And, and then after that, it's, it was hard to start training again. And so I started doing hikes. Started going back to running. I did kettle. Uh, that was enjoyable. And but then I was still trying to figure out, well, how do I? stay busy and challenge myself. So six days in domes, if you're not familiar with the event is an indoor ultra takes place in that year. It took place in Milwaukee. They have the largest indoor track for, I believe United States is over four, larger than an outdoor track. So it's over 400 meters around. 
And so a lot of the rule records are attempted there. So I believe I signed up for the six day event. It's really neat how it works. You can sleep when you want to, run when you want to, but my plan was all along to finish after a hundred miles so I can head out to Colorado. Right. Yeah. hundred miles. Yeah. Okay. Cause it showed two different on your ultra sign up. There's two different hundred milers, one for the 19th and one for the 22nd. I don't know. Oh, I, yeah. It's kind of, I like, did, you, I, did you do I, it I, twice? <laughs> no, I stopped looking. Yeah. I didn't realize that I yeah. stopped um, focused a lot on Strava. That was not good for me in the past yeah. from the standpoint yeah. of, I still use Strava. I so a paid customer of theirs. Yeah. I use all my logs there, but I stopped making it public. And the reason why, because I was so getting obsessed with the weekly high mileage. And if mm -hmm. you're in the top of the list yeah. and I, it wasn't good for me. And so yeah. I just stopped looking at that, stopped making it public. Um, so use it for tracking purposes. And also I stopped really focusing on kind of ultra sign up for your record, your history, because I thought, well, these big events, it's okay to DNF, it's okay to learn, it's mm -hmm. okay to go into training runs, races, training runs and drop out because you got to only what's you're focusing on. So no, that, Hey, that's, I just, no, that's, that's great. I just want to pause there for a second because you have to be okay with what your goal is and your goal is the ITI 1000. That's your goal. And so a DNF, if you've learned something, if you're concerned about injury or if you just feel like you need to pull, cause it's going to mess up your trip or whatever, that's, it's okay. But if you get so hung up and I can't DNF death before DNF, and yeah. you, you go hurt, break something, hurt something, or put yourself out of commission and you trash your A race. This is huge. This is a, a such a big goal. You've got to be focused on that goal. You can't let things like that distract you. You do. I mean, if you look at it from the standpoint of, uh, spent last three winters in Alaska, last three summers in Colorado, climbing and hiking, I spent probably vast majority of my discretionary income on endurance at sports, traveling for these events, equipment and gear. It's your life revolves around. Yeah. Well, and I didn't realize that you did, you went do Leadville again, and that's, that's fantastic training and everything. Leadville, Tunnel Hill. And then didn't, did I see, I didn't see it on Ultra Sign Up, but you did Arrowhead 135. You went into there as a train, as a training run too, right? Correct. Yeah. So Arrowhead, if you're not familiar with it, is 135 miles is in the Northern part of Minnesota. They usually make it one of the coldest days and the coldest weeks in the 48 States. And so it is, if you're not familiar with Arrowhead, it's at International Falls it gets really cold, like negative 30, negative 40. There's, I believe a movie out there called 40 or below 40 degrees, negative 40. And so what worked for me last time was not go push myself to haul 135 miles because that is a long distance and is extremely cold. And they always have athletes that get frostbite every year. It was just to get to the second checkpoint, which is roughly 70 miles and just call it quits. And those I did this year again. No, that's fantastic. But to go in knowing that and being, being okay with it, you know, that, Hey, I'm going in, I would have testing gear, making sure, is it similar? Like you're pulling a, uh, not a sled, a what do you call it? A, po a, poke. a poke. Yeah. yeah poke. Okay. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you, so you're pulling that. Is it similar in that aspect or? It is very similar. The checkpoints are spread out is unsupported. You, you don't have pacers. You don't have, you're not getting any extra help is a little more supported from the standpoint than the ITI. Yeah. In the ITI, you get to the that are a little greater. We are very more remote. So like the first checkpoint in the Arrowhead is a gas station. And so you go <laughs> in, so you can actually buy supplies, yeah. you can yeah. buy food. Yeah. And but it's very similar from the standpoint, snow, ice, you go through the night. But it's just a great way to fine tune your equipment, your get familiar with your gear again. I made some rookie mistakes. You have a chime to make adjustments. I do having a small backpack in addition to my polk. So when you go into a checkpoint, you have your supplies right there, change the socks. You don't have to start digging through your polk. Yeah. And uh, it just like everything started coming back. And also it's got a really good time to start reflecting on the 350. Yeah. If you ask me about the 350 in the summertime, I could remember all the good moments. But when I was in Arrowhead, I started remembering <laughs> all the bad moments of the 350, how hard <laughs> yeah. it was and how lonely it was. And at least in the Arrowhead, there's a lot more athletes. So you see people more often, yeah. but I started remembering in the, in the ITI and how you can spend a day seeing no one and you're yeah. by yourself for a long periods of time. And so, yeah. So you help you 
prepare physically with your stuff, but also it sounds like mentally, okay, I got to You get, remember that mindset and what I'm going to be dealing with. Yeah, what, what, go, no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, it's just, I was, it was really struck me in the last couple of weeks is that first of all, it's here. It's I leave next Wednesday. And also it was like the amount of stuff I had to do to get ready in the last couple of weeks. And I'm realizing this is probably my only chance at the ITI 1000. Yeah. I got, I've had been, I got so much help this past year. My employer has been great. They allowed me to work remotely, to travel, to do these races. They're allowing me to be, I have a very demanding job for a technology company. They're allowing me to be gone. That's a big benefit. Yeah. They've been very supportive, wanting to know how can they help financially, which has been helpful. Wow. And then just getting ready to everything from making sure bills are paid, everything's squared away, you're bringing enough money, taking care of every aspect of life because it's not like you could answer a phone call. It's not like you could solve a problem when you're middle of nowhere with no reception. And so the last thing you want to do is something in your head pops in your head and go, wow, I forgot to do something. And yeah. then you'd be stressed out by it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're out of pocket for all that time. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I was looking at the, the finishing times for ITI last year for the thousand. And so the fastest, the person who won it on foot finished in 22 days and 22 hours. Yes. So it's interesting. The So when you look at the winners, it's interesting that was probably his, I believe it was his like second or third time at it. He's done the shorter version. He's one of the top endurance athletes probably in the world. Yeah. Uh, he's the fat pursuit. He was one of the top, uh, he finished it on foot this year and it is quite impressive. And also last year was a little warmer than normal. This okay. year has been very interesting. It's been extremely cold. Anchorage received around 12 feet of snow already this year. <laughs> they had more. And some of the conditions throughout the course is, is a little more demanding than last year. So it'll be interesting to see how the finishing results are. And so, yeah. Well, and so even with that being a fast time, that's yeah. 20, 20, over 22 days of being out of pocket. Just yeah. like you've got to basically put your life on hold while you're doing that. I just can't, I can't imagine. Cause, and so how do you get your, even you get your ticket to fly back? Cause you don't even oh, know. Yeah. What it would yeah. So it's, I would love to be able to finish in 22 days. I don't have that type of skill, a skill or endurance yeah. or experience, but I'm, there's a lot of variables that can change my plan. And so I'm hoping to maybe get done in 28, 29, a yeah. selfish reason. Catherine, my girlfriend is going to be at the finish line. Yeah. So she's going to be watching that dot. Yeah. And when she's going to be tracking, checking my pace and everything. And then when it gets, when she thinks I'm a couple of days out or a few days out, hopefully to Nome, she's going to hop on the plane and go from Chicago all the way to Nome. And we really think about where Nome is. Most people haven't been there before. Yep. If you get there from a Chicago, you first get out of fly to Seattle, which is a long flight. Then you fly to Anchorage, which is another long flight. Then you get to fly from Anchorage all the way to Nome. That last leg of the, the journey is like flying as same distance, really flying from Chicago all the way to California. So really? you're spending hours and hours, your day, your a long day on the plane. And you get to know him where there's no roads and then you're dealing with other elements. She's going to go all that way and see Sean. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, dude, that that's, this just blows my mind. So on, on the last podcast, and I encourage everybody to listen to it, we talked, uh, we talked about your equipment and how expensive and the way you've got to haul it. And you know, right. you've got to, you got to get that equipment there or buy it there, or you just got to figure all that. Cause it's not, it's not like our ultra race where you get your pack, you get some extra shoes and you fly and you've got an extra, you pack an extra bag. Well, you've got a lot of stuff correct? that you've got to get with you. Um, yeah. Has any of that changed? on how the logistics of, of doing that and getting there with all your things. It's kind of strange. You, everyone has heard this phrase, you pack your fears from the standpoint of ultra runners. If you're doing a hundred miles, you're, you worried about enough calories. You may overpack, or you may think you're worried about the cold at night. You may put too many layers in your pack with you or too many batteries. And that weighs you down, slows you down. And even though I have a, I to think I have all the gear I've ever wanted and desire for a winter ultra. I found myself in the last month or so updating equipment, wondering, will this piece of equipment last me a thousand miles? Am I going to have issues with that equipment? It's going to wear out. What could go possibly go wrong? And so I found myself 
ordering a, a fair amount of stuff on the from REI and from other places, some gear. And yeah. so, of course, you don't want to go with new gear. So, you, of course, you try it out beforehand, which is that was Arrowhead for me. Uh, but is I always admire the athletes that keep a log of all the money they're spending. For me personally, if I knew that price, I will probably be sick to my stomach because <laughs> it is not cheap. Yeah. And so you're, I can't imagine with the bikes, because there's three disciplines, ski, bike, and foot. I'm not a mountain biker. I never knew how much the prices are, but this past month or so, I was educated on the price of a bike. And I realize I'm very fortunate I'm not a biker because <laughs> I will be spending even more money. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Cause by just bike night, good bikes are expensive. And then you've got to get special, I'm sure special tires and de dealing, got to deal with the cold. I don't know. I special tires to deal with the cold, to deal with the snow. I don't know. So your, <laughs> so those bikes, the top end bikes for a winter ultra can be as much as a, a good used car. So. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. That's crazy. How much of your gear? So, cause you, you learned a bunch when you first went to do the 350 and then you went in and you succeeded, you got it done. And how much of that yet gear is the same and how much have you changed or realized that there was better or, and what kind of things are you doing differently for this thousand? So I'm using the same sled, high quality Polk, same sleeping bag. I find even though it doesn't keep you warm, like your bed at home, it'll keep you alive. And so as yeah. a North face, negative 45 degree sleeping bag, I have the same, some, same snowshoes, same cramp crampons or spikes to wear. Um, let's see. The biggest change I made was because my carabiner that was attaching from my waist belt to the sled, the poles, yeah. it snapped, it broke. My, they broke and the re my backup one broke and I repaired them. They broke again. So I got some really high end carab, which is, it shouldn't break. They're quite expensive, but they should hopefully do that. Remember that last time talking about how you were having to figure out how to, yeah, to, yeah, because, because it broke. And so no Walmart carabiners. <laughs> Correct. So it is interesting when you start a, hopefully let's say 20 day, 30 days, you have maximum of 30 days. So you'd be official finisher. Yeah. Even though there's athletes that go beyond 30 days and it's yeah. still a major accomplishment. It, it is not, if I get to the finish line at 35 days, I'll be still ecstatic. But yeah. 30 days of the official finish, you're pretty much wearing your same clothes for the entire 30 days. Yeah. Uh, it, you're the same gear. Is You don't have opportunities to – you're pretty much cold most of the time. The socks is really issue. So I have a fair number of socks I'll be changing out. When you get into the checkpoints, you got, you got to take care of business right away. It's not like a lot of ultras where you have people helping you out. You got to bring your wet socks in, start drying them out. You got to start putting your booties on, get your feet to breathe for a while. Yeah. You got to start getting food into your system. You got to throw away your trash. You got to start powering your electronic devices, maybe changing out your batteries. The worst thing you do is try to change your lithium ion batteries in your head lamps at night. So I have two lamps, a headlamp that I use that I try to get to the night with two, but it's the worst trying to take your mittens off and fool around with batteries when it's cold out. So, yeah. well, so yeah, we get this. And they don't last nearly as long in the cold. Right. Yeah. 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 By the expensive battery, the lithium ion ones yeah. that last a little bit longer, but yeah. a lot of these checkpoints are they're a tent, a tent on frozen ground. They may, if a nice one may have some hay down where it, it feels really luxurious. So having hay to stand on <laughs> versus snow is great, but yeah. there, or you make it to a community center, which is a shared community center for a village. These villages and community centers, not like a city like you have in the 48 states. There may be, it's pretty rough, maybe no plumbing. There is not as clean as a community center that you would see in a normal, normal, normal 48 state town. Wow. Like really roughing it. And if yeah. I remember correctly, we, what we talked about last time for the 350, if, if you DNF out there, if you decide you're done or you get hurt <laughs> or something, it's on your dime to figure out how to get back. You got to yeah. figure that out. Pretty much everything's on your dime and it's really <laughs> yeah. up to you from self-survival <laughs> to getting yourself to the checkpoint. No one's going to do it for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it touched on earlier that there's really two races inside the thousand for the thousand miler, get to the first 350. Right now there are roughly 14 foot athletes are attempting the thousand miles and there is total athletes, I believe are between all the three disciplines is around 29, but there's the say 75 total athletes that are going to 350, 350 distance. 
when they drop and they stop, the checkpoints are not your traditional checkpoints. There's no sign in, sign out. There's no one there with a clipboard checking you off. It's up to you to send a signal back to the race director and saying, you got to that checkpoint. They really? do have you monitoring by the map, by the track leader, that all the athletes are on there, but it gets very difficult, at least what I've heard and what I've read and what the podcasts I've listened to after 350 mile distance. So what, what are you using to let them know you're there? Like, how do you send a signal? Is it, you have a satellite phone or you can, some villages yeah. may have a Wi-Fi you can use okay. even the Wi-Fi connection are as strong as you get in the 48 States. They don't want you to send images like pictures or social media or trying to watch something on Netflix, <laughs> yeah. but it's a simple text message. If you can't send it, they're still tracking you. Yeah. In theory, you could be disqualified, but yeah. you just get, you send it as to the, as soon as you can. So you may have to push on to the next checkpoint, which could be 75 miles away. But at that point you had to check in. And so they're more concerned about the athlete that is ignoring all attempts to check in at yeah. the checkpoints. Yeah, man. It's compared to the ultras and you've done, you've done so many of them and even the 200s where the 200s you can go in and you're taken care of, even if you don't yeah, you have are. a crew and all that stuff. And this is man. So I, I gone and I've done some, a lot of races where I just did drop bags, but the, even the cruddiest of ultras out there has pretty decent people taking care of you. Like even some, we complain, ah, there was nothing at the aid station, right. or whatever, but this is at least you going into this, yeah. this is who I'm relying on Sean. <laughs> so it's interesting you bring that up. You mentioned the triple crown yeah. Candace races. They have some amazing volunteers, right? They oh, yeah. bend over backwards. They're so happy for you. Not saying ITI doesn't have some amazing volunteers, but they're far, far less of them. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and then you, of course, you don't have any really after the 350 mile distance. So the ultra distances for like Kettle 100 or maybe Outlaw 100, yeah. you have uh, volunteers that are just bending over backwards and helping you. You can imagine if you're a volunteer in the ITI, First of all, there's a very few athletes and you're freezing yourself. And if yeah. you're managing a tent, you're, it's tough work. It's really of a job, true job. Well, especially you, you with that, especially after 350, you're talking days between athletes Correct. just to be out there. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's under understandable. So I was thinking through, I was thinking about, I wanted to go back and listen to the last podcast, but I didn't have time to, but I was just thinking through some of the things that you said, just the very you're hiking, you're moving, but if you stop to to sleep, you've got to you got to figure that out. You've got to find a place, a good place in the snow or wherever to sleep, to eat, to heat up food, to do all the things. And just for those that haven't maybe heard the last one, just give a I don't know, a little glimpse in what you did in the 350 and what you're anticipating for the for this thousand on let's just say you get to a point where you're gonna need to stop and eat. Correct. And maybe what is it what does that look like? Like just physically and everything. How do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, when let's look at a normal ultra. You heard a trail nap before. A trail nap, you can just go and you're exhausted. You can lay down that minute on that dirt and yeah. fall asleep. Pretty simple. You wake up, you keep on moving. But for a winter race, like an ITI is I, before you do that, you typically, you think about it for maybe hours before that, thinking like all the sequence events that you do during when you stop, because you do get cold, you gotta be efficient. It's you, it a sequence of events you have to do, you can't mess up. So I you typically think about it for quite some time. And before I stop, then you, before you stop, you start to start scouting for a spot, but you can't be doing on a frozen swamp, a frozen river. So if you're following a river for a long time, you really want to be off that river and substantially off that river because it's so much colder. And if you can find some trees that give you create some shelter, wonderful. When you stop, you're going to start getting cold because you're not moving. You typically want to right away lay out, pack down the snow with your snowshoes. So if you take off your snowshoes and expect you to stand, well, you may start going into a hip waist deep snow, yeah. and, or you may not be even like, you know, get your stove out because that's falling over or sinking in. And it's very frustrating, especially if you're kneeling. So you pack that down really hard, create a big spot, plenty of room to work. You started 
boiling snow, melting snow, it takes some time. So you really dilate, you want to fill that snow up, put some water in if you have it. It boils faster. Start melting that snow. You want to get your stomach full of food because you're not going to, you're, you're not moving. You're not going to create heat in that sleeping bag. That sleeping bag won't keep you warm. What keeps you warm is your body creating heat and that sleeping bag being the insulation of it. So that's very key. So you want to get a freeze-dried meal in, start eating, drink some boiling water. You won't sleep that long. Just like a trail nap, your body knows is not a normal bed and you're going to be sore. Your legs are going to start hurting. Your back's going to hurt. A couple of times where I was looking for moose steps and I didn't want to step on one. So my body was curved over for hours and hours in. Yeah. And when I try to sleep that night, I couldn't straight to my back out. And oh, you sleep in an S-shaped position, awkward <laughs> position. Yeah. You kind of, that sequence of events, but then you're in your sleeping bag. There's no tent. Uh, there's, if you have a, you want to be off, if there's a, a snowmobile trail, these villages in winter bring supplies in because you can't, they have no roads going to them by snowmobile. That's the time they bring cargo in a lot of times, supplies. If you're following a snowmobile trail or it looks like one's been used by it, get off that trail substantially because you don't want to get run over at night. Yeah. Uh, what makes ITI very exciting is that there's no gear requirement. You know, we think of all the hundred mile races, a lot of them have a gear list or a mandatory gear list, a check-in, check to see if a puffy jacket or you have a headlamp or a reflector vest on. ITI, no one really knows what it will take to get to the finish line. So they expect these endurance athletes have experience, know what works for them and what doesn't work. And so you have all that, you have that gear. So back to the snowmobile off the trail, because you're not having reflective gear that's going to light up from a headlamp if it came through. And so. Wow. So do you have something that you, you can you pack the snow? Do you like lay something, have just something you throw on, under your sleeping bag? Uh, I don't know. Keep it from getting moist. Yeah, yeah there's, yeah, you yeah. can do a blow up air mat or a thermorest pad. It's, it can be cold. A lot of times I still, you don't strip down your long underwear, or anything like that. Yeah. You leave your a puffy jacket on a lot of times. I have a, yeah. a thicker puffer jacket. So when you think about the layers you have, I have a base layer on, I have a mid layer on, I have a down jacket on, and then I would even put sometimes you know, a third down jacket on top of that. So plenty of layers. Yeah. You don't want to breathe inside your sleeping bag. That actually will create moisture from your breath. Just how you have a buff over your mouth, you will yeah. freeze up on you. If you start breathing into your sleeping bag, what's going to happen is that moisture is going to be collecting and you won't be able to compress that sleeping bag to a small size again and get it back in your sled. So if you had to sleep on called a bivy few times before a checkpoint, before you can really air that sleeping bag out, that sleeping bag compressed gets bigger and bigger. And soon enough, it won't be able to get into your bag or your sled, or you won't be able to zip that bag up. So you what are, you, what are you putting on your face? Are you, are you just having your face out of the, yeah. yeah. The sleeping bags are designed, that mummy sleeping bag is designed to you really for you to lay on your back with right. your mouth face outward. And so you can yeah. breathe out into the open. Yeah. Do you, you just do that? You don't put a buff over your face or anything like that? You just, I, I yeah. don't. You're pretty yeah. tired. And you you can out. <laughs> yeah. But it is surprising when you, just how you finish a hundred mile race and you're stiff and you're sore, you can't walk and you can't do stairs. Same way here, you get out of that sleeping bag, you can't get up, you're stiff, you're very stiff, your body aches. Yeah. You can't be taking Advil. There's no way you can take Advil for yeah. a month long. And so you probably should avoid it. You got to embrace it. Um, yeah. David, in some of your podcasts, you have the interview these people and they say, I got my trail legs after 15 days. Or when I finished the 350, that was eight days and 12 hours. Yeah. I can truly say I've never got my trail legs yet. So <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping yeah. to. Yeah. Because yeah, what you're doing is it's, I don't know, half of the Appalachian Trail. But on in snow, it's a it's you got you're dealing with different adversity. So, man, that's that's crazy. Yeah. So it's pretty much a ultra marathon for thirty days. <laughs> yeah. So how many times, like for the three fifty, you talk about that. And so while you're moving, it's hard. It's got to be hard to drink while you're moving because it's just cold. It's got to be hard to even eat while you're moving because everything is cold. Or and I don't remember from last time. Are you keeping? Are you keeping some things close to your body to keep it? You do, and that's usually typically is your phone. It's always nice to listen to a podcast, listen to an yeah. audio book, listen to music from time to time. It won't last long. 
batteries we all know yeah. don't last well in winter yeah. uh, and in the cold and yeah. these distances are so long that your phone won't last yeah. and even if you take your phone out for a while and try to play with it is not going to last long so yeah. yeah that next year chest and what else i have you have like buy? food your food um, or yeah, your, your liquids uh, and snacks stuff? but yeah. it's uh, yeah it's interesting you do get tired of food what's neat about this race is that if anyone drops when you get to the checkpoint, so you can check to see who dropped, their drop bags are fair game. So oh. you can go through them and say, oh, <laughs> this person packs something that I have not experienced yet or had in a long time. and Or you never, you typically don't eat, but you may sound good at that moment. So you can dig into that. Yeah. So how many, okay. I didn't even think about drop bags. So for the thousand, how many drop bags are you getting after, or how many do you get up until 350? And then how many do you get after that? I, good question. I think for the 350, you get three Okay. for the thousand, the total, I think you get around 14 is on your dime. Yeah. My mom was in charge of that. And that's been a, it's been a family project. The dining room table had around 14 boxes, all labeled my name. You mail them to different villages, to different postal offices, different schools, and they will have them there for you. You pay for them. Uh, it's your responsibility to ship them. They're not guaranteed it can be there or not for you. If yeah. they don't make it, no one's fault except yours or you got some bad luck. <laughs> so. That's crazy. And then so even after, it's just they get rid of them. They you, know, you can do go drive back and ship them back Correct. or something. Or find no, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I'm sure they pick through them and just and food has not been open. They keep it. They keep the batteries, keep the hand warmers, rest toss. So. That's that, I didn't even think about that, man. But at least you got you. And then do you do like a written like a list? You know what you OK, at this aid station, I'm going to have this in my drop bag. And your mom gave you a list. It is pretty <laughs> nerve wracking from the standpoint of having not been past 350 is that try and figure out how much food you need. Yeah. We all done a hundred miler before. And then like the day, two days later, you're really hungry. You're, you're eating a medium pizza by yourself yeah. and you're still hungry. And, yeah. but I have not experienced yet the, where you're constantly losing weight, but at the same time, you're going to get hungry. And do I have enough food? You got to be very careful not to just, go into your supplies and say, eat all your food in three yeah. or four hours when that needed to be last you two days. I did have a spot in the 350. I was out of food mm. and it was really nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. But I think I just was eating food. Every ultra runner wants to eat one more, maybe a beef jerky or a Snickers bar that's going to make you feel better. But reality yeah. is that's not going to make you feel better is because your legs are tired. You want, it wants a break, but it's, there's no magical food that you can eat or consume that's going to make you feel better. So you get to watch your calories. Yeah. I don't know if you listened to the the podcast with the Kathleen Egan who who won Bigfoot. I she did. was the first. Okay. <laughs> was a good one. Yeah, yeah, which she was fantastic, man. I really enjoy getting to talk with her. She's had so much experience. But she talked about some of the hikes that they did, the through hikes where they put on weight before the race or before the race, before the, before there. And, and it's the first time they did it. And I was like, I never even thought about that or heard about that. You know, they purposefully put on weight so that when they hike through and got their hiking legs, they would they'd, they'd lose yes. the weight or something like that. So Sean, are you fat? You don't look fat. <laughs> I don't think so, but it's, it's interesting. I, I just really wanted to feel good going in Yeah. Um, yeah. this past two weeks. I've not exercised as much as I want to, just because getting ready is yeah. all about Packing the sled up, taping up the sled. You spend a lot of money getting the gear through the airport. Yeah. Uh, as you can imagine, you have a stove, you have a fuel container. A lot of times that doesn't get gets flagged right away for further inspection. So they want to open everything up. Yeah. And so I try to do a really good job of packing so I get those items that can be easily shown to maybe the TSA or the security. So in the last couple of weeks, I feel a little like I've gained weight, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's a question because I've, I had a rough past couple of years and I've changed the way I've, I'm going back to what I did when I was really doing well in racing and stuff like that with diet and with the, the way I'm training and some different things. And so I'm curious, you talked about freeze, freeze dried, like, what are you eating out there? Freeze dried meals. You said jerky. What, is, what it, is interesting. A lot of freeze dried meals. It's kind of yeah. everything's off the table. I think during the 350, because I can't control exactly what I eat. I try to avoid the junk food. The reason why that may give you quick energy, but the end of the day is you're not going to power yourself for a whole mm. month long on Snickers bars. Yeah. What yeah. worked for me this past summer and this pretty much a year really 
I had to watch my calories, count my calories from the standpoint. I try to do a keto-based diet. You've talked to, about that in the past. That yeah. seemed to work for me quite well. I had a physical. I'm 51 right now, and I had a physical a month ago, and the doctor came in and said, you had the lowest blood pressure I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was very happy with that. But at the same time, my cholesterol was a little on the higher side. Maybe yeah. it resolved the keto diet, maybe not. But it wasn't anything to be alarmed by it. By it. But still maybe stop and think. So I think you do got to constantly adjust your diet yeah. for the sport. Yeah. And that's that. And that's the journey and on, because I did when I was fat adapted and I've been talking yeah. with Mike McKnight and getting talking with him about what he's been doing and how it's working. And, and anyway, that's, I've been feeling fantastic doing fasted runs and stuff. And so you're, yeah. And just curious, man, what's your favorite brand? My brother has opinions about freeze dried meals. He, he tries different ones and their specialty items. What are you packing for those? Cause I love those. Uh, I try, I'm stuff. trying to do a variety. REI has the deal where yeah. you buy, I think it was 10 or more. You get another 10% off, but okay. Um, wide variety, but I do like the oatmeal. I do love the, the after a while, they all taste the same, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's interesting. You can't, it, you can't do a lot of them from the standpoint of you have to stop and boil, yeah. boil snow and make them. And is when you're moving along and you don't want to stop. Right. I've before stopped and got so cold and I couldn't get warm again for another hour or two. And yeah. is, if you know that's ahead of you being freezing it is not enjoyable thing. So I typically like the nuts, the beef jerky, the quick things I just keep in my pocket. And then if yeah. I get to the checkpoint and they have, I can then have a little more time and make a meal. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that makes sense, man. I can't. So just to give you perspective, last Saturday I ran out here and I was like complaining because it was 25 degrees and then tomorrow oh, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a marathon long run tomorrow morning and um, it's going to be, it's going to be a free cold 31, Sean. Yeah. You can, um, I don't know. <laughs> I do love you. You have a, you, Oklahoma has a great running community and oh, it, yes. it's pretty amazing. Probably the, one of the best ones in the country. And, I do laugh at times because I'll see all these pictures popping up on my Facebook or Instagram and people with like extra layers on and they, they feel like, oh, we're battling the cold. We're out there together. And, <laughs> and if you go to Minnesota, maybe yeah. five degrees right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my pastor friends up there in Wisconsin, he's, I've had him on the podcast, Scott Poling. He I posted something about a cold run this morning. He's like, how cold was it? And I was yeah, like, oh, right. stop, dude, stop. Cause he's always running across frozen lakes and stuff. He's Correct. <laughs> yep. And so it's surprising because people don't realize that when you're across the frozen lakes, rivers and swamps, First of all, when it gets so cold, the rivers will stop move and they'll freeze. Yeah. Most part of the country, they will keep on flowing because moving water typically doesn't freeze. But right. when it's really cold, they will freeze. And especially when you have a month long or two months long period of time leading up to it, they will completely stop, freeze over. But when you're on those, even with shoes on, with a rubber sole, a thick sock, or maybe a sock line or two, in addition to that, it's much colder than if you were on cement or grass or somewhere else. Yeah. Quick, you said shoes. What, what shoes are you wearing out there, man? Oh, it's uh, I got some ultras. Okay. I got some some thick sole, aggressive sole. That's what I real typically look for. I'm going back and forth on that. It's kind of interesting. Oh yeah, bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, because I wouldn't know. I know you. Are you getting the kind that are have Gore-Tex weatherproof and all that? It's interesting with the Gore-Tex. It does prevent feet to breathe. Yeah. And so that's the balance you have. That's yeah. where I'm struggling with because yeah. you put a Gore-Tex pair of shoes on, you may be great resisting that splashes of snow, snow or the water, or maybe some mud on it or going through a stream. But for long periods of time, your feet will sweat in them. Yeah. And you can't get your, have your foot wet like that for <laughs> a day or two days. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you know. then if it gets cold, you end up with a foot sickle. <laughs> it's, uh, I may take a Gore-Tex pair and a non-Gore-Tex pair. It's yeah. most of the foot athletes probably only bring one pair of shoes for the thousand miles. Really? And so that is, that's crazy, man. That's interesting. Guess the wear and tear. How is the wear and tear? Oh, you got a snowshoe a lot of times underneath it. That's my fear is like maybe the snowshoe rubbing that 
shoe the wrong way and cause a hole or something like that. Because I would say everyone has equipment down during the 350, during the thousand miles, nothing just goes smoothly. Things yeah. will fall apart, break. Something rubbing your jacket. I, my jacket ripped open. All the down came out. We had to get duct tape and taped it up. And of course, yeah. it's very stressful when you have such a long ways to go. So yeah, the equipment does fail on you. It will fail. Yeah. What are you bringing for stuff like that? You said duct tape, you bring a roll of, or a bunch of duct tape and you bring glue. What do you bring for stuff like that? Yeah. So is zip ties go a long ways. Duct <laughs> yes. tapes go long, thick duct, duct tape goes a long way. You need some repairs, some extra carabiner, some of the bolts on my sled, bring in I make sure they're tight, but then I bring extra bolts there. And if someone drops out for whatever reason, you know, usually they their journey's over, right? They can't yeah. go on for numerous reasons, but sometimes they're very nice and they will love to see you to finish. You can't count on that, but yeah, it happens from time to time. Yeah. That's that's in even just regular ultras, ultra marathons, people help each other, but you've got to take care of yourself between aid stations Correct. and you don't want to count on that stuff. Well, yeah. Sean, dude, I am I don't I can't even I'm just, I'm excited for you. I know when it came, when I saw that you were in it, I was excited and I'm sure you are. I'm sure you're excited, terrified, all that. All of yeah. And I can't wait to follow along and it's going to be, it blows my mind. Like when I'm, I've done 200 and then I follow friends that I, that are running it. People I know I'm following along and it's always funny, like the life that, that I'm, I've lived all this life while they've been running a 200 miler, a 240 <laughs> miler, and I'm going to be watching you, man. And it's going to be like, yeah, that, that month that, yeah. <laughs> that whole, and Sean's been out there, but, but in all seriousness, man, I will be, I'll be following, I'll be praying for you and just, just rooting for you, man. Cause I know how much this means. And I know you're a guy that put a lot of work into this, not only physically, but just financially and just everything, you're sacrificing a lot to do this. And I want to see you, I want to see you get it done, man. Oh, thanks, David. And uh, the link will be on the track leader. Uh, they have a homepage and it looks for the Diderot Trail Invitational or ITI, the acronym. And do appreciate the support. Yeah, man. I'll put links in, in on the page for it, all the notes and everything. And then hopefully the timing will be good. I would, you know, we talked a little bit about this before. We'll get you on the podcast. Maybe while you're still in Nome, we can That'll hook be up great. and man, just get the lowdown while it's fresh and talk to your girlfriend and see if she had a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be uh, hopefully our next time we talk, I'll be in Nome and I cross the finish line. If not, I'm sure there'll be some good stories that we can oh, yeah. figure out together what went wrong <laughs> looking forward to it man and look man you have a, a good trip a good flight and i think there'll be a lot of people following along and rooting for you i'll be posting updates <laughs> great well thanks david